Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Hey, you are a wonderful church for so many different reasons, and one of the things you're, uh, why you're a wonderful church is you're a generous church, and I'm so uh, thankful for that because your giving enables us uh, to do some things that impact our, certainly our uh, fellowship, but our community and our world, and I just wanted you to know because of your generosity, uh, we were able to step into those things going on in Maui. It's an absolute tragedy what is going on there, but on your behalf, uh, our elders sent $25,000 through Samaritan's Purse as a first-time gift uh, to go there to help those victims and to be able to minister to them uh, with Jesus' hands and feet. But thank you for giving so that we're able to step into a need uh, immediately. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, We're going to have some fun. I know it's uh, fall uh, sports times and I know it's football and volleyball season, but I was thinking of a different sport, so uh, just uh, let me go that direction for a second. We're going to do it in a way that's kind of a trivia, okay? I'm thinking track and field, okay? I'll give you a category here, uh, but you can can shout it out. I like when you talk to me, so, um, okay. Who holds the world record for the 100-meter sprint? That's an easy one. Yeah, Usain Bolt, nothing taken away from you, but yes, Usain Bolt, okay? Usain Bolt, okay, set in 2009, a 9.58, 9.58 seconds to run 100 meters. Uh, Jamaican, so stinking fast. And I think he was born to set that world record. I mean, your name is Usain Bolt. I mean, uh, how cool is that? All right? Okay, a little bit harder, 110-meter hurdles, Anybody? Any track and field people here? Yeah, it's a little bit harder, I I know. Um, Aries Merritt, American, USA, USA. 12.58 in the 110 meter hurdles. Okay, now, if you you take those times, and I know I'm rounding here, um, but why is Aries about three seconds slower than Usain Bolt? I mean, is it because an extra 10 meters? I don't think that's slowing him down a whole three seconds. What's the big difference? The hurdle, thank you. Yeah, that was not a trick question. Uh, The hurdle. You've got a 42-inch hurdle that is standing in the way, and not just one, but multiple hurdles ahead of you to finish that race. But because Aries knows that those hurdles are there, he expects them. He trains for them. They, they trains a little bit differently than Usain Bolt trains. I mean, there are some similarities to the race. I mean, it's a similar distance. Uh, they, they start similarly, but the race is a little bit different. That's why Aries finishes a little bit slower, but it's because he's got those hurdles in front of him. But because he expects them, he can overcome them. Now imagine this. Imagine if Usain Bolt started his race, but he didn't realize that he wasn't in the 100-meter sprint, but he was in the 110-meter hurdles. And he starts off sprinting, and then all of a sudden, somebody puts that hurdle right in front of him. What's going to happen? if he's not expecting it. I'll show you what would happen if he's not expecting it. That's what would happen. You see, the the hurdles that trip us up in life are the hurdles that we don't expect. Those are the hurdles that, that cause us to stumble and cause us to fall. But if we can expect them, then we can train for them, we can identify them, and with God's help, 
overcome them because life gives us plenty of hurdles. And if there weren't um, that many hurdles in regular normal life, guess what? There are actually hurdles in the spiritual life as well that we need to understand so that we can identify them and with God's help, overcome them. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. New chapter in the book of Acts. It's page 921 if you're opening one of those blue Bibles. Uh, No matter which venue you're in, 921. We're continuing our series, Unexpected. And today we're going to see, this is a major, major uh, section and and turn in the book of Acts. uh, Because now we're going to see the the last part of the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And we haven't repeated that, but please, you've got to remember that uh, verse as uh, as you get uh, your bearings in the book of Acts. Don't ever forget Acts 8. You will receive power on you to, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And you've seen us in Jerusalem in the first few chapters. You saw the gospel move out to the regions of Judea and Samaria. And here in Acts chapter 13, although we flirted with the the edge of those boundaries beforehand, now we're going to see the gospel begin to go to the ends of the earth, beginning here in Acts chapter 13. Because Acts chapter 13 is the first of Paul's three missionary journeys. So we're going to be on three missionary journeys, the rest of the book of Acts, and today uh, marks the first one. And this is a major shift, and it's not the only major shift that you're going to begin to see here. Uh, the, The major shifts here are, we've been talking a lot about Peter, if you remember, now we're going to start talking a lot about Paul. And Peter shows up a little bit here as we continue the book of Acts, but it's mainly Paul. You're also going to see a change from Jerusalem to Antioch. Jerusalem was the center and has been the center of the book of Acts. Now we're going to move to Antioch and you're going to see the shift from Jew, which was the center there in, the, in Jerusalem, the center of Jewish worship, to Gentile. Now it's going to go to those who do not have a background as Yahweh worshipers. So some major shifts going on here as we begin Acts chapter 13. But I told you we shift to Antioch. Just want to show you uh, where that is. Antioch was actually the third largest city at the time behind Rome and Alexandria. And then third was Antioch. The population peaked at about 1 million people uh, during that time. And the reason why, it is the capital of the province of Syria. And it really was the, the center, kind of the meeting of the trade routes between east and west. And so it's one of the reasons why it's this, this huge hub. And it becomes the missionary sending church beginning here in Acts chapter 13. So I want to just read Acts chapter 13 verses 1 to 12 so you, you understand where we're going to go and we'll, we'll break it down, don't, don't worry. So beginning in verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. Don't get lost in all these names. I'll explain all these names later. Okay, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island, John, by the way, is John Mark. That was the cousin of Barnabas. Okay, just fun fact. Okay, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. This is where it gets really interesting. He was with the uh, proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, Elymas was the It means magician. It was his nickname. Opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And may the God bless the reading of this word and may our hearts be open to hear from him. We're going to stop right there. So... The, they are launching out, uh, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, they're launching out into this first missionary journey. And I, I don't know what they would expect, but they shouldn't have expected it to be a 100-meter sprint because there are going to be hurdles along the way, and you can see some of those hurdles as we read the text. And so what I want to do is I want to break down those hurdles so that we can identify them, because remember, the hurdles that take us down are the ones we don't expect. So we've got to learn what to expect when we venture out to live our lives for Christ in our everyday world and also try to reach those in our own backyard who do not know or walk with Jesus because that's exactly what they're trying to do. And if we can identify these hurdles by God's help, uh, we can overcome them because it's not going to be a 100-meter sprint. It's more like a 26.2-mile hurdle race. Uh, this Christian life. So let's identify those hurdles and hear how God helps us. So let's break those down. Let's start at the beginning here where uh, you've got to expect the barrier of no one being present to share the gospel. Expect the barrier of no one being present to share the gospel. Uh, If you you look back um, at the beginning of Uh, this section, verses 1 to 3, you've got a bunch of church leaders there uh, praying. Now they were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, and it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me. Like, like let them, you guys be prophets and teachers in in Antioch, but set apart for me. They're going to have a different role, set apart for me. Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. 
I love the picture here. Uh, one, because you have a, a bunch of church leaders, and I wish I had time to go into uh, their, their backgrounds, but these are church leaders from totally different backgrounds. They would have no reason to congregate or fellowship except for their relationship with Jesus. That's the only thing that gives them this, this common unity together. And they all, as they're praying, sense that God is telling them the same thing. And the reason why I want to highlight that is just because I want to tell you, we at Christ Chapel follow these same principles on our elder board. Men who meet the qualifications, 1 Timothy and Titus, but they, they come from different backgrounds and we share a common unity in Christ and seek the Lord together, asking the Lord one question, expecting one answer. As they lead us, and it, it's wonderful to watch how every decision that they make is unanimous. That's a core value of ours. We do not move forward if, the, if they're not all on the same page together. So unanimity on our elder board, that's what this looks like. They all, they're all praying, they're all fasting, and they sense all the same thing, that this is the way that the Lord is leading us, to set aside Barnabas and Paul. Why? So that they can be sent. Don't, don't miss this, guys. The heart of God is to send people who, to, to people who don't know him. Like that, that's his heart. The, uh, our God is a sending God. He sends people out to make himself known. Do, do you know where that started? The right answer is Jesus. Always Jesus. Go with Jesus, okay? Jesus. The world did not know him. So what did he do? He sent why did he send his son? Because he loves us. He, he wants us to know him. Our God is a sending God. And that's why he sends us into the world. He sends us into our own backyards. He sends us into our workplace. He sends us into our family, our friends groups, our hobbies groups, because he wants people to come to know him. And the best people to make him known are the ones who already know him. And that's why he sends us out. And that's why we want to equip, empower, inspire you to take that good news to those that you love as well. You see, that's what's going on here. Don't miss that they're worshiping him and he sends them out. That he gives them the same message that he needs to send out Paul and Barnabas. And where he's going to send them is to the island of Cyprus. And we'll, we'll show you where that is in relation to... Um, Antioch. It says they went down to Seleucia. That's because that was the port city where they're going to catch uh, the cruise ship, I'm sure it was, Carnival. Um, and they're going to go over to Salamis. So we'll, we'll mention Salamis, but we end up in Paphos. I just want you to kind of see where they're going. Now you might ask, why is the Holy Spirit sending them to Cyprus? Now I certainly don't know the mind of God, but I'll give you a few reasons why they might be going to Cyprus. Uh, first could be because it was a major uh, place where there, it was a Jewish center. There were a ton of Jews there. So they would have the context of waiting for the Messiah. That, that's what they've been studying. That's what they've been waiting. That's what they've been praying for. And now they have two missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, that can tell them the Messiah that you've been waiting for is Jesus. So it could be that. 
could also be because it was a major uh, trade route, major stop, as obviously those ships came uh, through the Mediterranean. So people would stop there. It was very lush uh, place, a uh, very fertile place, uh, Cyprus, and so there, it was a major stop there. But Cody's opinion, here's why I think they go to Cyprus, because that is the home island of Barnabas. That's where Barnabas is from. And I think when they set them out and they say, hey, we want people to come to know Jesus, I think Barnabas goes, I know people that need to know about Jesus. It's the people that I love. It's the people that I know. I want to go to them. And I think, I think you know, sometimes we go, God, I, I want this, uh, you know, this lightning bolt from heaven. Like, show me, like, which country I'm supposed to go to to witness for you. You know, what, what city am I supposed to? And he's like, anybody who doesn't know me, like, start. Go ahead. Like, don't need a lightning bolt. Don't need to throw darts at a map. Just who do you love? Who do you love? Who, who do you want to come to know Jesus? Who do you want to not spend eternity apart from him? Like, who do you want to, to know the freedom and the salvation that comes through Jesus? Like, just, just go to them. And Barnabas goes back to his home island to share the gospel with those that he would have had relationships with, to those but that were part of his family tree. So you can expect the barrier of nobody being able to, nobody being present to share the gospel, uh, which, by the way, don't, don't assume that everybody knows the gospel. I know, I know that we live in Texas, which is like the, the buckle of the Bible belt, but please don't make any assumptions. There was actually, I just read a study the other day, um, a, a Barna study, 35% of people who have no faith say that they do not know one Christ follower. 35%. I think you think in Texas, I mean, like, it's just, you know, Jesus is written on somebody's birth certificate, you know, like, of course. Like, they would know, like, from, from growing up. And, and that's, not, that's not the case. Guys, i tell you a quick story. I, I know I need... There, we encourage you to invite people to Easter, and one of our folks invited a lady to Easter, and I love this story, because she started asking her, what are you going to do for Easter, and she started telling her, uh, she said, I don't have anything to do for Easter, what is Easter about? And she started telling her about how Easter celebrates the resurrection of Jesus, and this lady said, I have never heard that before. This is in Fort Worth, Texas. Don't assume that everyone knows about Jesus. And also, don't assume that everyone knows that you follow Jesus. You've got to be a little bit overt with it. You've got to tell the story, your story. It can be your story, but don't assume because they might be sitting there in your cubicle next to you and going, I don't know anybody who follows Jesus and you're sitting right next to him. And you've just ne never let them know that you are a follower of Jesus. That's a barrier to people coming to believe in Jesus is no one being present. But God has put you in a place for a certain time to meet certain people, 
to share the good news about him. That's the first barrier is no one being present to share the gospel. The second one is this. Expect the barrier of false saviors who steer people away from the gospel. Expect the barrier of false saviors who steer people away from the gospel. Look back at verses 6 through 8. It says, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was the proconsul. Uh, he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God, but Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So they're going throughout the island, and Sergius Paulus hears about Barnabas and Paul and says, I'm curious, I want to I hear a, about uh, this good news that they're sharing, invites Paul and Barnabas, but there's a six-foot hurdle in his way. I'm guessing six foot. It's Bar-Jesus. Th- this, this person who's a false prophet of, of a Jewish false prophet. And what does that mean of that day? Don't know, but he could have practiced astrology. Uh, he could have practiced divination, could have been into the occult. Um, but he had some sort of, he made himself very prominent and like he knew things that Sergius Paulus didn't. So he made himself a special counsel to the proconsul. Now, Sergius Paulus is this Roman official proconsul. He would have been appointed by the Roman Senate to, to rule in some sort of way uh, during that time. But his special counsel is going, hey, I've got all the answers. I, 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 I've got the answers here. You don't need to hear from anybody else. Just depend upon me. And don't miss the irony here that his name is Bar-Jesus. Bar meaning son of. Son of Jesus. So it's like, hey, I've got a relationship with Jesus, I'm, I'm, but no, he doesn't in any way. He's trying to get him to, Sergius Paulus, to depend upon him and him alone. This is a, a false savior in a sense. And those false saviors run around in our world all the time. And a false savior is something that you depend on to bring you life so that you don't need Jesus. That, I'm defining that. That's my definition of a false savior. Something or someone you depend upon so that you don't need Jesus. False saviors come in a variety of, of, of things. Like, uh, I mean, it can be the, if I make enough money, I don't need Jesus. If I have good health, I don't need Jesus. Now, now certainly, they're, they're false saviors so that when those things run out, where do people turn? They don't, they don't have any place to turn. But that's why they're, they're false saviors for, for a little while. But here's the, the worst false savior and the one that I see most today. Uh, the, the false saviors that are running around in our world today are self-saviors. People that believe that they can save themselves. And people that preach that message to them that, that they are God, that, that they can be good enough or they can set the course of their destiny. I have heard these words about manifestation and visualization, like these things that like if I just think about it enough, I can make it happen. Have you heard this? Like th- that's, that's crazy stuff. But that's somebody that believes that they have the power of God that they are God-like, that's, that's a false savior. Or the, or 
another big one these days is affirmations. You've heard these, right? Like people just like, if you just tell yourself like, you're awesome, you know, look in the mirror, you're awesome, you know, that then all of a sudden you just turn, awesome. You know, like it bounces off the mirror and there you go. And, and it, hey, I think you're awesome, but I also think you need Jesus. So, and, that, and that's the hard part about the, these affirmations. Like, it, it's just like, what, what are you putting hope in? Is it in your words? I, I, I don't get it. It reminds me of that old, I don't know if you guys remember this, the old Saturday Night Live skit with Stuart Smalley. Do you remember that? Where, where Stuart Smalley sits in front of the mirror and he's like, I am good enough, I am smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me, you know? And it's like, oh, okay, great. It's, these... These false saviors are self-saviors. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you don't need Jesus. You will fall short. Uh, Get over yourself. Don't make yourself a hurdle to understanding your need for Jesus who stands there with forgiveness, with freedom, with life. So that's the second barrier uh, are the false saviors, and they experience this barrier as they shoot out to, to try to share the gospel in Cyprus. But here's the third one. Expect the barrier of spiritual warfare, which is present wherever the gospel is preached. Expect the barrier of spiritual warfare, which is present wherever the gospel is preached. See, don't forget, Sergius Paulus, he is curious about God, about the true God. And wherever God is trying to make headway, there's always an enemy who's trying to thwart his progress, always. Look, at, uh, look back at uh, those verses there, verses 9 and 10. It says, but Saul, who was also called Paul, and remember, same person, Saul is his Jewish name, Paul is his Roman name, and actually, it'll, be, it'll get really easy now because here on out through the book of Acts, he's just called Paul. We don't go back to Saul. Um, so Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Now, obviously, don't miss the irony here. His name is Bar-Jesus, and who does Paul call him? Son of Jesus, he says, no, you're the son of the devil. There is a spiritual war going on, and you need to remember that. Remember what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's the rulers and principalities of, of the heavenly realms. There, there's something else going on here. There's something deeper. And because there's something deeper going on here, we need his divine power. We cannot fight spiritual battles in the flesh. You can't out-argue someone. It, there's something spiritual going on, and that's why we need Jesus's Help And he, that's why he gives us the, the armor of God for this spiritual battle. Helm of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel. 
All all of these things, he gives us the armor of God because he knows we're in a spiritual battle. And that's what's going on here when they get into this, oh my gosh, I can't just physically move you out of the way. This this hurdle can't just be moved, bar Jesus, so that I can get to Sergius Paulus. There's something spiritual going on here. But while you can expect these barriers as you live your Christian life and as you try to share the good news with those around you, you can also expect the Lord to remove barriers so that the gospel can be believed. You can expect the Lord to remove barriers so the gospel can be believed. Just quickly look back at verses 11 and 12. And now, beho- and now behold, that this is what Paul is saying to bar Jesus. He says, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Yes? Yeah. Sounds a lot like what happened to Saul. I told you we're just going to call him Paul. Happened to Saul in Acts chapter 9. Remember when he's blinded? But his blindness leads him to the Lord. So that he's not a barrier to persecuting the church anymore. See, God removes those barriers so that people can believe in him. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. There's so much irony in here going on between Uh, what happened to Paul or Saul in Acts chapter 9 and what is going on here with Bar Jesus. But in both cases, the Lord is removing those barriers so that the gospel can go forward, so that people can believe. He's removing those barriers to belief. And remember, some of these barriers are certainly things that are, are abstract in a sense where I'm talking about nobody to believe, but some of those barriers are personal. Like they're people. We don't want to be barriers. We want to be barrier removers. We want to remove those barriers so that people can believe in Jesus. So I want to give you three very quick applications so that we can participate in removing barriers. So participate in removing barriers by praying for people to come to know Jesus. Praying for people to come to know Jesus. And I mean this in two ways. First is scripturally and second is specifically. So first, scripturally. Remember in in, uh, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send out laborers into the harvest field. So pray that people would go out into those harvest fields and preach the good news. And we pray for our missionaries. We, we, at Christ Chapel, we have 30 missionaries out in the field preaching the gospel to people that have never heard of Jesus before. And last year, again, through your generosity, you gave almost $2 million to mission endeavors across the world. And 300 of you went on short-term trips. That, that is amazing. And I love that heart because your heart is like God's heart that people would come to know him. So pray scripturally, meaning God, send people out and pray for our missionaries to, that God would support them, that God would encourage them when, when it's hard and they're working hard out in the harvest fields. Uh, but also pray specifically. Pray specifically that people that you know, people that you love, pray, God, would they come to know you? 
please, would you draw their heart to them? Would you remove those barriers in their life uh, to believing in you? All of those things. Because here's what I go back to. If I find that in a while I haven't prayed for people to come to know Jesus and specific people, I ask myself the question, how is my worship life? How is your worship? If you're not praying for people to come to know Christ, how's your worship? Because remember, that's the way this whole passage starts out. This whole passage starts out with people who are worshiping God. And they know that God's heart is that people would come to know him. And so they are aligned with his heart to send out Paul and Barnabas that people might come to know Jesus. If, I'm not, if I have no care of people coming to know Jesus, then I probably don't know Jesus. I probably haven't spent time with him lately because our God is a sending God. Our God wants to reconcile with people. Remember, go back to, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Right before it goes into, we have the ministry of reconciliation, meaning that we can tell people that God wants to be reconciled to them through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Do you remember what it says in verse 14? For the love of Christ compels us. The love of Jesus compels us to have this ministry of reconciliation. If you are not compelled in any way, not even to pray for people, then the love of Christ might be absent in your heart. Go back to worship. Go back to who is God. Go back to connecting with him so that you gain his heart that wants others to know him. Second, participate in removing barriers by stepping into opportunities as you walk by the Spirit. Participate in removing barriers by stepping into opportunities as you walk by the Spirit. Leadership of the Holy Spirit is all throughout this passage of how the Holy Spirit is leading those leaders, how the Holy Spirit is leading Paul and Barnabas, and we are called to keep in step with the Spirit. And if you don't remember what that means, you can go back. We did a whole series on it, uh, talked about it on our, in our series. But keeping in step with the Spirit means yielding to the Holy Spirit saying, Holy Spirit, I will go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. Yielding to those opportunities and stepping into those, knowing that he will equip you and he will empower you wherever he sends you. And that's encouraging. It's encouraging to know that he's going to equip and empower us wherever he takes us. But remember, whenever you step into those opportunities, please be filled with the Holy Spirit and the reason why I say that is because this is a very confrontational moment where Paul confronts Bar Jesus. And for whatever reason, our society is very confrontational at this moment. And oftentimes when those confrontations happen, what you end up seeing is that people are not full of the Holy Spirit. They're full of anger and bitterness and self-righteousness. And at the bottom line, they're full of themselves. So let's be full of the Holy Spirit. Let's say, God, I want to speak what you speak. Because if the Holy Spirit is speaking through us, it might be confrontational, but can, it can also be compassionate. It can, also, it can also be kind. It can also be respectful and truthful at the same time. But step into those things following the lead of the Holy Spirit. And then finally... Participate in removing barriers by pointing people to Jesus who loves sinners. Point them to a Savior who loves sinners. I, I just want to remind you 
how this passage began again. Because who does the Holy Spirit set aside to be sent out? It's Paul. Do you remember what Paul was doing? He was killing Christians. Paul had a past. Paul was not perfect. And that's who God chose to be his representative to the world. You go, why? One, we've talked about this before. I think it's because he experiences grace. But here's another reason. I think some people will, I think a big barrier to people believing in Jesus is they think God doesn't want anything to do with me. God doesn't want anything. He, if he knew the things that I had done, if he knew the places I had been, if he knew the things that, all, all those, all my past, and you're like, yeah, he knows. He, he already knows. And, and guess what? He sends a representative who God knew everything he did, called him out on it, and still said, you're mine, and I'll forgive you. I think that that's a wonderful representation where you go, yeah, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And guess what? If you're a sinner... Hey, there's a spot for you R- right here, right in God's family. So remove that barrier by, by living that, that life. Don't, don't glorify sin in your life. I'm, I'm not saying that in any way, but you can say, yeah, God saved me from my past too. Being a sinner is not a barrier to knowing him as Savior at all. In, in fact, Being a sinner is a qualification to knowing a Savior because you need to know him. You need a Savior. And so you can remove that barrier saying, I'm a sinner just like you. And guess what? Jesus stepped into my life and wants you to believe in him. See, the bottom line to this this whole thing that I, I hope that we hear is, I don't want you to be a barrier to belief. I want you to be a bridge to a Savior. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for um, moving in amazing ways throughout Scripture because you want people to believe in you. I just pray, Lord God, that you would give us uh, not only the faith and courage, but would you give us your heart. May it be the love of Christ that compels us to not only share the gospel, but to believe in you every day. Lord, to to lean on your biblical affirmations of who we are. Because, Lord, we are precious to you. We have been set apart by you. And so, Lord God, let us base our life, our words, our actions, our feelings, all of those things in the truth of your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.